is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Weekly happy Saturday to you. I'm Connor McKnight, and this is ESPN 1000 White Sox Weekly on every Saturday from two until three in the afternoon. We've got an hour with you here in the off season. We got some reports and we've got some rumors to go through here, and we'll do that uh, in just a little bit. I, I want to tell you first, kind of what we're aiming for here on the episode. We had a little bit of breaking news yesterday around kind of the managerial landscape, as it were, in Major League Baseball. I think you probably heard some of the reports here on our very own ESPN 1000. John Yurkovich breaking news left and right. How about it? Uh, anyway, in a second, we'll get there. I also want to do uh, the off-season series. I want to start our off-season series, our review preview episodes. We take position by position across the White Sox, take a look back and how that particular position fared in 2022 and kind of project it going forward as well in, in 2023. And today we're going to start part one of the outfield. I think it's going to be a two-part episode because things are, these review preview episodes in, in a lot of different situations are going to be a little bit more complicated than they were in the last two years for the White Sox. An 81 and 81 finish will do that for you. Um, but I think this will be part one of our outfield review preview episode. Still, as I mentioned, there's news, there's reports, and there are rumors, uh, and there are actually a couple of, um, couple of done deals in Major League Baseball right now, even though the championship series are still going on. In case you missed it, the Rangers have hired Bruce Bochy as their next manager. Reports had Bruce Bochy kind of connected. Uh, to the White Sox, a couple of different rumors that say, yes, he talked to him. Some that said, no, he hadn't quite. Bochy won three World Series with the San Francisco Giants. He uh, managed the Padres before that, took them to the playoffs, the whole thing. He'd been uh, out of the managing job since 2019, but is now back as manager of the Rangers. Interestingly enough, uh, Rangers GM Chris Young, the, the pitcher, the tall guy, uh, played under Bochy on the 2006 Padres. So now his former player is making the hire. So Bochi is the new manager of the Texas Rangers. Also, some divisional news before we get to the hot White Sox stuff. Terry Francona is back as Guardians manager in 2023. Now, while that's obviously tough news for White Sox fans, it's only because Francona is a darn good manager, maybe one of the best in the business. He just finished his 10th season as manager of the Cleveland Guardians, 845 and 671 with the organization, six postseason runs. And of course, the, you know, the World Series, it was a loss against the Cubs in 2016, but he made the World Series for the first time for the franchise in, I don't know, like decades and decades and decades. It's been a long run for the Cleveland Guardians since they've won a World Series. So Francona is back. And that's interesting because Sandy Alomar Jr., who has been his bench coach for a while, is uh potentially out there and has interviewed for a couple of different managerial jobs in his past and obviously has some White Sox ties. Now, while it is true that White Sox general manager Rick Hahn said 
in his postseason press conference that, that happened three days before the season actually ended that White Sox ties were not going to be a prerequisite for the managerial hire. There are reports, multiple of them today, one of them from our own Yurko at ESPN 1000, that the White Sox will interview Ozzie Guillen as potential manage in their managerial search, that, that Ozzie Guillen's going to get a look. Um, this is now out in multiple places. We've yet to hear it from the White Sox themselves. I I would be surprised, I guess, if Ozzie Guillen were the manager of the White Sox in 2023. However, just about everywhere around baseball kind of understands more than thinks, but just kind of understands that Ozzie, you know, deserves a look as a manager again. Yes, he's been out of the game for uh, 10, 11 years. Um, but this is a guy who has stayed connected to it in a lot of similar ways as, as many managers who are being hired, um, have been hired, uh, are staying around the game. And while it may not, Ozzie Guillen may not fit all of the criteria that Rick Hahn kind of laid out in that end of season press conference, you know, you could, you could do worse. Uh, again, I would, I would be surprised, but we'll see. Anyway, some other reports. Say that the White Sox have interest in Astros bench coach Joe Espada, Royals bench coach Pedro Grifol, Braves third base coach Ron Washington. We went over a lot of those names in last week's episode when we were talking a lot more about the managerial search. But, you know, that's, that's the news as it sits for the White Sox and certainly, certainly some interesting stuff. That's a little bit of a curveball that's been thrown. Into the managerial search, Ozzie Guillen, as reports say, NBC Sports, uh, John Yurkovich with ESPN 1000, a lot of other places. Sounds like it's going to be a, an interview for Ozzie Guillen. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. It'll be interesting to see what the timeline is here for the White Sox, too. I had kind of just been ready to wait and see on, on all these managerial hires until after the championship series is over. You have the Rangers announcing their hiring of Bruce Bochy. That's a little, it, it's not bad necessarily, but usually you wait until those, you see teams wait until those divisional rounds or championship rounds are over, not to say nothing of the, the World Series needing to be over. So kind of an interesting timeline here. We'll see where the White Sox fall into it. So that's kind of the thumbnail on the managerial search, the latest news. Uh, want to get into the outfield review preview episode. That's the bulk of today's conversation. And I'll set the stage by saying this. I think in most of this episode, I'm going to just go into the working assumption that free agent Jose Abreu is not coming back to the White Sox and that Andrew Vaughn is going to be the first baseman for the White Sox in 2023. We don't know that to be true yet. And it is entirely possible that Jose Abreu comes back and, and is a White Sox again. But should Jose Abreu move on, Andrew Vaughn is your first baseman. And kind of the review preview feel of the outfield episode changes a lot. Because while we would talk some about what Andrew Vaughn was and wasn't able to do in the outfield in 2022, the preview turns into something else entirely. And here on October 22nd, taking a look forward at what may happen in the outfield, not knowing exactly what players are going free agent, some of the decisions that are still existing on the White Sox, that changes a little bit a couple weeks from now, or at least, you know, a week and a half after the World Series is over. We'll get into it some. But I definitely want to talk about the production uh, of the 2022 White Sox outfield. I, I want to talk specifically about what did happen, 
what didn't happen for the White Sox in 2022 in the green grass. And I think that starts with two players. And I think it starts with game totals for those two players. When it was all said and done, because of injuries, uh, you know, a weird kind of uh, lightheadedness and, and blurred vision and COVID, Luis Robert played in 98 games in 2022. And on the other side, Eloy Jimenez, because of a blown hamstring and surgery to fix that issue, Eloy played 84 games in the outfield, 84 games in total for the White Sox in 2022, and just 30 of them in the outfield. For Luis Robert, all 91 of his games, pardon, 91 of his 98 games were in the outfield, all of those in center field, of course. And I think when when you look at kind of the key elements, the skill sets of players, the, the places that the White Sox are best, you have to talk about Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez. And while you look at the overall stat lines for those two guys, I'll just give you a, a slash line as a thumbnail real quick here. Slash line is, uh, we talk about this a lot on the pregame show and during the broadcast when I'm in for land two, average on-base percentage and slugging percentage, right? That's the player's slash line. It's the dashboard kind of stuff. For Aloy Jimenez, he hit 295, he was on base at 358, and he slugged 500. Not a terrible season by any stretch, but he wasn't healthy. Luis Robert, when you look at his slash line in center field, 284 average, a 319 on base, and a 426 slugging percentage. Now, you break that down a little bit, too. Because remember, for Robert, not only was it the um, the health issues that I mentioned before, kind of the you know the COVID and uh, the the vertigo kind of stuff that was going on. He didn't have vertigo, but it was vertigo like symptoms, is what it sounded like. He also had the sprained wrist when he slid into second base trying to steal a bag against the Detroit Tigers. Jonathan Scope's knee was down. He kind of blocked the base, uh, and 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 Robert got hurt. If you look at the numbers prior to that game. Prior to that sprained wrist against the Tigers, where obviously after that, you know, there, there were a lot of swings, right? Felix Bautista, the closer for the Baltimore Orioles, was pitching against Robert and the left hand's coming off the bat before he can even get the thing, you know, close to the strike zone, let alone through the hitting zone. In the 80 games, 80 starts, 81 games in total, he had a pinch hit appearance from opening day all the way up to the day before he sprained that wrist sliding in a 298 batting average, a 333 on base percentage, and he slugged 452. Those numbers are better. If you like numbers that are a little bit more encapsulating, um, maybe a little bit more relative, you can take a look at a stat like weighted runs created plus. I, I don't want to do the whole glossary here, but it takes into account kind of league offense, uh, expected set. It, it's a measure of over 100 is kind of the percent better you are than the average major league hitter in that particular season, and under 100 the same, you're, you're worse than the average major league hitter. For instance, Gavin Sheets had a weighted runs created plus of 100. He was right there. Aloy Jimenez had the best weighted runs created plus on the White Sox, 144. And for Luis Robert, he was at 111, 11% better than the average major league baseball player. Now, I, I don't offer those numbers just to say, well, that's it. That's the guy's number. That's his value. Uh, far from it. But I do think as a thumbnail, it's an interesting place to be. Now, another thing, too, I and you probably heard me talk about this on other shows uh, or, or prior shows or, or with other shows when we're talking White Sox. 
I'm a big fan of outfield defense, especially nowadays, especially when the White Sox as a team are a team that throws a lot of fly balls, right? You look at the pitching staff and it's, it's kind of a, it's a fly ball strikeout kind of pitching staff. And that's not bad, certainly. Um, but the high strikeout totals are what makes the fly balls tolerable. The weak contact helps the fly ball rate. You don't have a bunch of, you know, this isn't the, I don't know, it's not the 96 Braves with, with guys throwing ground balls all over the place and turning two. That's not to say the White Sox didn't have and don't have some ground ball pitchers. Aaron Bummer and Dallas Keuchel, when he was with the team, come to mind. Uh, but predominantly fly ball, strikeout kind of thing. That means, at least in my mind, you want as good outfield defense as you can get. If that's where most of the batted balls go, I want guys who can go track them down. To that end, Luis Robert, who had won a gold glove in center field in his rookie season, had not great defensive measurements. Look at the defensive wins above replacement on fan graphs, and Robert measures out at a negative 2.6. There are other places and, and other measurements you can look as well. Some like him a little better, some like him a little worse. Um, but not the season, not the kind of guy that Luis Robert has been in the past. Now, when I look at 2022, offense was the issue, right? The White Sox hit way too many singles. They didn't walk enough, and they didn't hit enough home runs. These two guys, Robert and Jimenez, are guys that could go for 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 home runs. In the case of Robert with some of the lower numbers, I would imagine, yeah, 20, 25. I could see Robert having a 30 home run season in his future. He certainly has the, the raw skill set to do it. And Jimenez is, is, is the kind of guy, the kind of skill set, the kind of raw power, the kind of all fields power that might be able to hit 40, 45, or maybe even 50 home runs in a season, but he's got to play 150-something games in order to get there. So when you look at some of the deficiencies, some of the underperformance um, from the White Sox in 2022, I, I think a lot can be explained by the seasons that Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert had, or maybe even better put, didn't have. I mean, between the two of them, there's something like 60, 64 in the case of Robert, games that weren't he wasn't available for. And for Aloy Jimenez, he missed almost half the year. He played 84 games. 82 is half a season. That's a lot of time. That is a lot of time for two of the best players on the White Sox. When we come back from the break, I want to talk about what is coming next for both Jimenez and for Robert with the White Sox in 2023. Um, we'll speculate a little bit to be sure. We'll get into the rest of the outfield as well. I'm also going to tell you when we come back, uh, the next couple of weeks, I, we've got some really cool interviews lined up for the next couple of weeks of White Sox Weekly. And I think you may want to mark down on your calendars. Uh, when some of these may be happening, some good stuff on the way as well. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Listen to Chicago's home for sports on the ESPN Chicago app, 100.3 HD2 and ESPN 1000. Now on the home of the White Sox, here's Connor McKnight. Back 
the White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We've been talking about the outfield for the White Sox in 2022. Told you as the show opened, we're you know, restarting an off-season tradition. The yearly review and preview episodes here on White Sox Weekly. We'll take a position. We'll look back at what happened, what didn't happen, and look forward to what might be going on. I think this is part one of, of two on the outfield from 2022 looking into next year 2023 the white Sox in 22 were you know they were a complicated bunch at 81 and 81 they were very they were they were the definition of average right 81 and 81 um and yet the issues that kind of are before the white Sox are complicated so i think that might take two episodes to get through one position especially when you know as we talked about at the outset of the show uh, Daryl Van Scowen, now among others, but Daryl Van Scowen, the latest here, the Chicago Sun-Times, um, has a report out that the White Sox uh, may likely be moving on from Jose Abreu. That moves Andrew Vaughn from an outfielder to a first baseman, perhaps, uh, and kind of changes the scope of the episode. So that's kind of where we're at here. Welcome back in. You can become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting Sox content delivered free to your inbox Visit whitesox.com slash insider today. So here's what uh, we've got coming up in the next couple of shows. I'm going to get right back into uh, Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. A couple of fun interviews planned here over the next couple of weeks. I don't know if you're much of a, I don't know if you're much of a reader. Do people read still now? I do every now and again. I'll, I'll, I'll read books uh, typically. I keep the reading to non-baseball stuff during the baseball season and then during the off or, or during the off season uh, and then during the baseball season I'm reading baseball kind of oriented books. Off season it's more like a you know fiction sort of thing, weird stuff. All that need Dune for the nineteenth time. Um, but Jeff Perlman is one of my absolute favorite authors, and his book, The Bad Guys, won. It's a history of the nineteen eighty six Mets who won the World Series. It's, it's just a book I. I randomly picked up one day. I, I think a friend of mine might have suggested it to me. It might have been Chris Ranji, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Just kind of suggested I should read the book. I grabbed it. I, I know people say this all the time, but I quite literally couldn't put it. I mean, I put it down to go to bed and go to work the next day. I finished it in two days. It is one of my favorite books of any category, not just baseball or, or nonfiction or whatever. Jeff Perlman's book and The Bad Guys One or The Bad Guys One is one of my favorite books of all time. An absolute page turner, especially as a kid, you know, born in 85. I didn't, you know, I didn't watch the 86 Mets or anything like that. I heard stories and stuff about Gooden and, you know, Joe Strawberry and the kid, all that kind of amazing, amazing, amazing book. Jeff's got a new one coming out and he's starting to do some press for it. We're going to talk to him about his new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, next Saturday. I am so excited to read this book. It's not out yet. You, I think you can pre-order it if you go to a couple of different places. I'm, I'm sure the big box stores and you know the, the, the Amazon are like, hey, you could probably pre-order it. Um, but Bo, obviously, uh, you know, in and around the White Sox organization, came in with the Royals. You know Bo. Everyone knows Bo Jackson, right? I mean, you you understand the myth of this guy. I had the chance to do kind of a, a White Sox uh, season ticket holder Q and A sort of thing. It was it was during um, the the off season last year, so it was at the height of COVID. It was on Zoom, 
uh, with with a bunch of White Sox fans that it had kind of uh, logged into this Zoom, and and I interviewed Bo about you know different stuff, just how you doing, all that kind of thing, and and it was I my first time really getting a chance to talk to Bo Jackson, and it was awesome. It was so, so cool. DJ did a thing with season ticket holders and Bo Jackson in the outfield at Guaranteed Rate Field late in the season last year. People really enjoyed that. Bo's got all kinds of stories. I know Jeff Perlman as an author, at least, and he does such an amazing job of bringing out those stories, you know, the, the stuff you haven't heard of um, about Bo Jackson into this book. Really looking forward to it. We'll talk with Jeff next Saturday, uh, but this is you're going to want to get your hands on this if you are a baseball fan, you're a sports fan of really any kind, especially with the ties, you know, that Bo has to the to the White Sox and what he, you know, clinching that all, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you you know the stories. Um, so that's coming up next week. We're also going to have a conversation with Darren Jackson in a week or two. Since we're talking outfield right now, we've been trying to work out schedules and everything like that. I want to talk with DJ about what makes a good outfielder, what makes a bad outfield, you know, what sorts of things where the White Sox can be uh, better. Pay more attention because he talked about this a lot during the regular season. We're going to talk a, a, a serious, like, you know, how to kind of conversation on outfield play coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, looking forward to our offseason conversation with Chris Getz. It's kind of a tradition here on White Sox Weekly since I started doing it a couple of years ago uh, back in 16. I, I really like talking with Chris Getz about minor leaguers, about prospects, about player development. Uh, so we usually have an off-season conversation about the guys that went to the fall league for the White Sox, about the state of the White Sox system. Nobody better to do that with than Chris Getz. So that'll be coming your way in a couple weeks as well. Uh, and again, all of our shows are downloadable on the ESPN Chicago app in case you missed them or you just want to re-listen to the interviews or you want to, uh, I don't know, share with your friends or whatever. Okay, back to the 2022 White Sox. I We, we ended the last segment talking about... Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez and kind of what's next for both of those guys. And, you know, I thought it was an interesting comment that then acting manager Miguel Cairo made about Eloy Jimenez toward the end of the year. He had kind of said, and, and granted, he, he admitted, you know, this won't be my decision, obviously, if I'm not the manager of the White Sox or if I'm not here or whatever. And Miguel is going to get an interview uh, if he hasn't had one already for the managerial job with the White Sox. Rakan mentioned that at the end of his uh, at his end of season press conference at Guaranteed Rate Field about 3 days before the season ended. But Cairo said that he kind of pictures Jimenez as a two or three day a week outfielder and the rest of the time DH what with the um you know the hamstring and kind of back of the knee issues that Jimenez has had over the last year. What's interesting there is that presumes, and I, nothing against Miguel, like he's only evaluating the player he's got in front of him. That puts, you know, Jimenez in a situation where, you know, are are you, is there better for you in that knee, you know, in that hamstring area? Are you going to have the, the situations, and we saw it on a, you know, kind of a routine fly ball in the gap. I think it was against the Tigers. It ended the sixth inning. I know that, you know, Jimenez made a nice move toward a ball in the gap, caught it for the final out. You know, it's kind of a dying line drive. And just as he snagged it and took his, you know, two follow-through steps, felt that knee grab, came out of the game. There were other instances where, usually while running, but sometimes it looked like on a swing, where that knee was less than comfortable. We were playing less than, um, I wouldn't say 100%, because the production was there for Jimenez, at least, uh, you know, at the plate. Uh, but it looked like he wasn't running at 100%. That's for sure. 
And I kind of credit the guy for staying. I mean, I think with both Robert and Jimenez, you have to at some point, credit, despite how it went, despite the results, because it's not the player's responsibility, in my mind, it's not the player's responsibility to all the time say, I can't do this, Skip, or I'm not here. Like Sometimes guys need to be told, you are not healthy enough to play. I got a better option on this bench. I, I got a better option at AAA. I, we got a better option if we're putting you on the IR or the IL rather. This that needs to be done by someone else. It's the player's responsibility to get the job done any way possible, right? DJ talks about this a lot. I've invoked DJ's name a couple of times. The guy was out there, and he knows what it is to have to get that job done feeling less than one hundred percent. So I, I credit both of them, Jimenez and Robert for at least raising their hand and trying to do that when they could. Now, what what's interesting about Jimenez and, and maybe problematic about Jimenez is regardless of, that, of, of how much better that knee and hamstring area gets, will the White Sox still keep him on what Cairo kind of said, this two- to three-day-a-week outfield plan with the rest of DH? What we saw from him in this last season was at least this. Aloy had said a lot that he does not enjoy DHing and that it's not something he really figured out how to do. He, he, he didn't like his production as the DH. He thought it was difficult. You know, all that kind of stuff. Guys talk about this a bit. It is difficult to keep your head in the game, um, to, to say nothing of, of keep your head out of the game. You guys talk a lot about, boy, if you're just DHing and you have that first bad at bat. Maybe you catch a bad strike, you swing at a slider, and then you're down 0-2 before you, you know, and then that you stew on that at bat the rest of the night. Well, you can't have that. You can't do that. you got to figure out a way to go get that out of your head. Guys who go into the field can go literally focus on something else. The designated hitter is sitting there just, you know, trying not to think about that at bat. That can be difficult at times. But what we saw from Eloy Jimenez in 2022 at the very least was the dude figured out the dh responsibility and i know you might be thinking okay well that you know how much does that really mean connor i I get you i totally get you but it's better than not doing it you know i mean it's it's better than him at the end of the season saying boy this dh thing i just couldn't figure it out and the production really took a dive because I couldn't figure out that part of of my assignment because it's a difficult thing to do. If you look at the splits for him as you know in terms of defensive positioning, as a designated hitter, 50 games, 210 plate appearances, an 843 OPS. He was better as a left fielder. He was also healthier as a left fielder. You know, I think that's you know the 30 games he played in left predominantly came before that knee issue. So that goes into it as well. Still, you know, a, a 136, uh, pardon, uh, an 843 OPS plus, I was reading a different stat line altogether, uh, is a pretty good number. And with 11 home runs in 50 games, that's that's okay. That's like a 30 home run kind of thing. And when you figure that that's after the layoff from surgery, not feeling 100%, you know, a 30 home run kind of thing should hopefully be the floor for a fully healthy or at least, you know, 155-game Aloy Jimenez. So that's one thing. On the other side, and the reason I spent so much time on Aloy Jimenez is because the what's next for Luis Robert is pretty simple. Stay healthy and be in center field. I mean, this is, you know, that that is the, fortunately for the White Sox, I think, 
one of the simplest solutions and simplest places to get better. If Luis Robert is playing 155, 160, you know, oh, nobody plays 160, but you know what I'm saying? If he gets that full workload in center field, you got a solution there. I, I just, I'm, I'm convinced of this, and so many other people are as well. Can you do that? Well, Rick Hahn has talked a lot at that end of season press conference about being healthier, about how to change that that White Sox strength conditioning, you know, the, all that kind of stuff, all that behind the scenes sciencey biological stuff, whatever. Um, that needs to be as much as anything on Luis's mind heading into this offseason or now that we've started this offseason. So, you know, being there, being available, availability is one of the better abilities in this game. That's huge for Robert, and that would be huge for the White Sox as well in 2023. So in my mind, those are the biggest pieces for the White Sox in the outfield in 2023. And I think, you know, barring a, a massive trade or free agent signing, they'll remain the biggest pieces in the White Sox outfield in 2023. And I know I'm fudging a little bit because Eloy Jimenez, he may be a DH for a lot more time in 23 than he was supposed to be an outfielder in 2022. But, you know, it's the review preview. And like I said, this is this is more complicated than it than it was last year. So we're going to spend, I think, probably two episodes on each position, uh, on each place, rather, so that we can, you know, fill it all up and, and do the appropriate looking forward. Whether there'll be back-to-back episodes, I'm not sure, because I think, you know, painting a more complete picture once free agency or whatever is done uh, might be a better way of finishing up part two of this Outfield Review preview episode. So when we come back, we'll take a look at some of the other outfielders in 2022 and what their options are going into 2023. That's coming up next. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I am Connor McKnight. Big voice guy said it and everything. Thanks for that. Sox fans, are you planning a special occasion and looking for the perfect location? Well, we got you covered. When you reserve your group outing for 2023, you get priority access to the biggest matchups and the best space for your group. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash groups. This is part one of the Outfield Review Preview episode here on White Sox Weekly. We do it every offseason. We take one position at a time, look back at what happened in the year prior, what's going to happen in the year coming. And because the White Sox season was as complicated as it was, we're taking two episodes on each position here this offseason between 22 and 23. Because, uh, I, I, quite frankly, I think it deserves it. Um, maybe not every position, but definitely the outfield. So we, we kind of wrapped up the... Um, what it looked like and what it may look like going forward for Eloy Jimenez and for Luis Robert for the White Sox from 22 to 23. But there are other outfielders uh, to talk about on the 2022 squad. Here's one of them. The guy that played the most outfield for the White Sox in 2022. The guy who played in more games this last year than he has played in any season but one. A.J. Pollock who was acquired from the Dodgers 
through the Craig Kimbrell trade just before the season started, played 138 games for the White Sox in 2022. And all told, 137 of them were in the outfield. Mostly left, 107 of those, 37 in center field, 14 in right field. So what you can say for Pollock's 2022 is that he stayed healthy. Unfortunately for the White Sox, for Pollock, it it wasn't the offensive season that they were hoping for, that anyone was was hoping for. That's that's to be sure. There were some moments for Pollock, no doubt, when he started the season against the Tigers. He was as hot as anybody. He started four for seven in his first seven at-bats and then had a hamstring pull around first base after hitting one into the corner. I, you know, for, for Pollock, the, here was the idea going in, right? Obviously, the White Sox had picked up Craig Kimbrell's option, and while, whether that was a good or a bad thing to do is, is kind of hindsight looking back, right? I mean, Kimbrell didn't make the roster for the Dodgers in the playoffs. The Dodgers got booted, and it wasn't because they couldn't pitch. It was because the offense kind of dried up against the Padres pitching, in fact, which is kind of a weird thing, but that's, you know, we'll wrap up the, pre- the postseason when that's all said and done. Anyway, for Pollock, what what I think Rick Hahn had kind of spotted up was a couple of different things when he made that trade. One, you got to find a team that's willing to take Craig Kimball, right? Dodgers clearly were. The other is that you're looking for a guy who at least can play the outfield to be for sure, right? You're looking, you need an outfielder, you need a pretty decent defensive outfielder. And for Pollock, he had played a decent center field over the last two years. He played a good corner. Uh, left for a couple of the last years, two last years. What what didn't happen for Pollock in 2022, first and foremost, he did not hit right-handers. And that's something that he did do over the last two, three seasons. His platoon splits, that's versus righties and versus lefties, are incredibly different. And unfortunately for the White Sox of 22, kind of indicative or, or informative of the offense as a whole they were stymied against righties and Pollock was too he hit 231 against right-handers the 284 on base percentage and slugged just 309 11 of his 14 home runs were against lefties he hit really well against left-handers or at least you know really well considering he's he's AJ Pollock in his age 30 I want to say 36 season age 34 season apologies to AJ I aged him twice um but you know it's, it's just it wasn't the year offensively that the White Sox were hoping for they they needed to get a little bit more left-handed or at least needed to get a little bit more capable of handling right-handers the Pollock trade looked like it addressed that but at the end of the season it had not now Pollock has an option that he can pick up it is a player option that reportedly vested at $13 million because he got over 500 plate appearances in 2022. He also has a $5 million buyout. So if he decides to go, he gets the $5 million walking bonus. That's great work if you can get it. Pollock's had a really good major league career. Uh, when he's been healthy, he's been good for the most part. And that's you know it's, it's good work. What's, what's interesting here is this. When you draw out, and this is kind of where we're going to diverge some from talking about a particular player and looking at the picture on the whole, when you look at what the best outfield for the White Sox looks like, both offensively and defensively in 2023, 
I think you can make the case that Pollock may or may not fit in terms of at-bats. This is a guy who, you know, at 34, going into 35, probably wants to play a lot and probably wants to play a lot for a contender. Now, the White Sox check that one box. They ought to be contenders in 2023. But whether he's able to play a whole lot, he's a vested veteran. He's a guy who gets to pick that. He's got the player option. Uh, that, that may be something else entirely. When you look at, and we talked about it at the beginning of the show, you know, the rumors that, continue, that, that increase about Jose Abreu not returning to the White Sox, Andrew Vaughn getting first pace, that's a place where you're getting uh, cheaper. You're inserting that young talent into his natural position and, and Andrew Vaughn. You hope that that's all going to go as, as well as you could have when you drafted him, expected that Jose Abreu would be passing a ton, uh, the baton to Vaughn you know, at some point down the line. Probably not like this, but at some point down the line. Aloy Jimenez is going to get a couple days a week in the outfield. I, I'm pretty convinced of that. I don't think he's your full-time DH, especially at his age. I don't think you want to lock a guy in like that. I think you like to be a little bit more flexible. Luis Roberts got center field locked down, and when Jimenez isn't in left, somebody else can be, and that could be Pollock. We'll talk about Adam Engel a little bit. We'll talk about Larry Garcia a little bit. We will we'll talk about Gavin Sheets a little bit going forward. Shoot, we'll talk about Oscar Colas a little bit going forward. But what it comes down to is... Is AJ Pollock uh, at this point, and with the defense that he, you know, the defense slipped a little bit for Pollock in 2022, is is he the guy that best fits this outfield for the White Sox? Now, they, the team may not have a choice. He may just want to be there, and that's his option. They could, of course, if Pollock decides to exercise that option, look to move him if he doesn't fit. But, you know, I got a feeling that with the moves that Oscar Colas put on, in the 2022 season, playing across three levels, high A, double A, and triple A, he's, he's not the top prospect. That's Colson Montgomery. Uh, but the second best prospect in the system for the White Sox, you know, based on, on and everybody's rating, it'll be pipelines rating, all that kind of stuff. You know, this, this starts to look like a guy that, that may well get a shot, especially considering that he is 24, just turned 24, uh, what, last month. So, you know, you look at the numbers that he put up at AAA Charlotte, pretty good, 387, 424, 645 across the board, 30-something plate appearances, seven games in total, but he smacked two home runs, you know, he drove in a few, AA was really good, he had 306, 364, 563, it's his first season stateside, and he played across three levels, high A, AA, and AAA, that is the very definition of a fast mover. And, and if past his prologue, then the White Sox have been aggressive about promoting Andrew Vaughn through the ranks. I think at this age, with that skill set, given that he bats left-handed and plays right field, eh, this looks like a guy that really fits the profile and could be another spot where the White Sox could benefit from some salary relief. I mean, if Coloss is playing there, then you've got a guy on his rookie contract and hopefully able to use that money to plug some other spots, whether that's starting pitching or second base or another outfielder. It all depends on what Pollock decides to do. So that's part of the preview episode here in the review episode. When you look at the shape of the outfield from last year, you know, health played more of an issue here 
than I think underperformance, you know, that, that I think, you know, bad seasons from a couple of hitters did in other positions. You know, guys at third base, at catcher, these kinds of things. Gavin Sheets turned himself into a capable outfielder. The bat shined for a little bit after coming back from AAA Charlotte and then declined a bit as well. Adam Engel did not have the season that I think he was looking to have in his age 30 year. He played the second most games in the outfield for the White Sox at 113. He played in 119 games in total. Uh, but you saw late, too, You know he wasn't cracking the lineup in the last couple of weeks. I, I wonder if he was 100% or, or completely healthy. And Engel, as I mentioned, at, at 30 years old, um, can be a free agent in 2024. So he's got one more year of arbitration ability left. In 2020, Adam Engel kind of showed you that it looked like he was starting to figure out how to hit right-handed pitching. He hit 291 with a 328 on base and a 509 slugging percentage against right-handers in the pandemic season of 2020. Obviously, last year was such a banged up, you know, whole bunch of hamstring injuries for Engel uh, in 2021. But the splits last year for Engel against right-handers were better than they were against lefties but still not good. An OPS of 634, not what you're looking for. He hit 259. His on-base was under 300. So offensively, just just not where Engel wanted to be for sure. And figuring himself out, you know, figuring his spot in the mix proved to be difficult for Engel. So I, I think whether it's left or right, and, and if, if you're going to go ahead and say, okay, Oscar Colas has the inside track or at least a well, good opportunity at if not breaking camp than being that first promotion for the White Sox, May 15, you know, whatever it is, then you've got that, you know, fourth outfielder spot to fill. That could be Pollock if he picks up the option. It could be Larry Garcia mixing in his utility player that he was signed to be and had to play a lot more regularly at second base, certainly in the first half of the season with the injury to Josh Harrison and the struggle that he had coming back from it. Um, but that outfield mix, I think, is a place where the White Sox could maybe strike in the offseason. And I, I feel like it's a little too early to be looking at free agent targets, especially since, and in case you're unfamiliar with you know, how the chain of events goes, 10 days after the World Series is when guys with player options like Pollock um, and, and everybody else on other teams with player options have to have a deadline for exercising those options. After that, guys become free agents, and you can you know start your bidding process. So, you know, after that kind of time period is when we start to look at, you know, pretty hardcore, the free agent options that are out there, uh, the trade targets that might be out there, because with those options getting exercised, with free agent targets, you start to go, okay, well, here's some guys that may well be traded. But even so, when we come back, we'll give you a couple names of potential, well, of free agent outfielders. Uh, but there's one more guy in the outfield mix for the White Sox that I want to touch on just a little bit more, too. A guy that may factor in quite a bit, a guy that, you know, at times... A real power stick for the White Sox and something they could use quite a bit of. Uh, We'll give you some of those free agent names. We'll talk a bit about Gavin Sheets when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome 
back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Last couple minutes of the show, and we're wrapping up the uh, first episode of the review preview outfield edition of White Sox Weekly here in the offseason. By the way, you can stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Follow at White Sox on social all over the place. At White Sox. Follow them today. So we've gone through a lot of the outfielders, just about every single one of them, um, and we're going to give you some free agent potential, free agent targets for the White Sox. But before we do that, I I feel like I might have given Gavin Sheets kind of a short look here in this episode. And like I said, this is... You know, one of two episodes, I think, that we're going to do a little bit on the outfield, you know, probably a little bit later on down the line when some decisions have gotten made after the World Series. That's when we'll get back into it. I was drafted. But Gavin Sheets had, you know, kind of a a weird season. There were, for Gavin, 15 home runs in 124 games. That's That's not what you're looking for. You're you're looking for a lot more pop. He slugged 411. Almost 100 points lower than what he slugged in the 54 games in his rookie season. There were runs where Sheets looked like the kind of player he wants to be, like the White Sox want him to be, like White Sox fans want him to be, all that kind of stuff. I I go back to when he was uh, sent down to AAA Charlotte. He comes back June 23rd. Then he goes on you know, a, a pretty good run of 15, 18 games. 316, 381, 561, three home runs in 18 games, 12 runs driven in in those 18 games. It, it looked like that guy was back. The comp back, the big game hunting was back, the home runs were back, the whole thing, or at least a, a lot more home runs in a short period of time. After that, kind of went away again some. Gavin Sheets, you know, the, he may well still be in the mix here because as a lefty power guy, that is, you know, a lot of what the White Sox need, you know, in terms of, of raw skill set. Tough to give up on is all I'm saying there. Now the free agents out there. And like I said, we're going to do this again once the offseason is, you know, in full swing. Playoffs are done and, you know, some decisions start to be getting made. But I I did just want to bring a couple of names that are free agents. I don't know. That might be fun to think about. Aaron Judge is a free agent. Not sure if you've ever heard of him, but he set the American League record for home runs in a single season. It's 62. He's the top of the marketplace. It's the winter of Judge. And, you know, it, it... yeah, it's it's maybe wild to think that this team would be at the top of the market for an outfielder, but if you're going to do it, Judge might be the guy to do it. I can't think of a single free agent season uh, going into free agency that, that, that would be better than Aaron Judge put up. My goodness. Anyway, that goes I was saying. Andrew Benintendi you know, was with the Royals, got traded to the Yankees, did not play well for the Yankees, and I think had a couple injury bites. Uh, but at 28 years old and a lefty and a very good defensive outfielder, that might be interesting. Trey Mancini was traded from the Baltimore Orioles to the Houston Astros, and while he's a right-handed hitter, he's pretty capable from both sides. Awesome dude. Maybe Mancini's a guy. Jock Peterson is a player that many thought the White Sox would be interested in at the trade deadline. Perhaps one of the guys that Rick Hahn was kind of saying, well, you know, didn't think the asking prices would be where they were. We're a little disappointed in that whole thing. Jock Peterson, left-hander, mashes righties, platoon side guy. Seems to make a lot of sense. Brandon Nimmo hits left, played for the Mets his entire career. Good 2022, an 800 OPS. He hits 16 home runs. Good left-handed hitter. 
more to the outside of the box. Tyler Naquin kind of fit that same profile of a lefty bat that moved at the deadline. He was with the Reds, got sent to the Mets, didn't play well for the Mets. He's an okay outfielder and, you know, a guy, a lefty you could throw into the mix. I also wonder at this, and, and maybe you think I'm crazy. Lord knows I could be. But Joey Gallo is left-handed. He got moved from the Yankees to the Dodgers. He plays a very good corner outfield. He's 28 years old. And I, there are worse guys, all I'm saying, to take a flyer on than a guy with Joey Gallo's skill sets. If you want a lot of home runs, if you want that kind I, I wonder. I just wonder what the marketplace will look like for Joey Gallo. I don't think baseball's done with him. He's probably not done with baseball. And you might as well take a swing at Joey Gallo if you're a team that's got the spot and can afford it. Might not be the White Sox, though. We'll see. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week, different time next week. We will not be from 2 until 3. Instead, we'll be 1 to 2 to accommodate some postseason baseball on Saturday the 29th. We'll talk to you then. I'm Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000.